0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Yes, you're all wide awake. You got an extra hour of sleep. You you have 12.5% more beauty than you normally do. For those of you who are mathematicians, that will make sense. For those of you who aren't, you'll wonder, where did that guy come up with that number? Anyway, it's a great Sunday to be in church. Don't you think? Yes, Yes, it is. So my name is Ron, as Channing has already said, and uh, it's my joy and my privilege to get to teach you today. And uh, whether you're online, um, by the way, if you're online I want to personally invite you to kind of pause whatever you're doing and take a seat and just take the next 30 to 40 minutes and just focus on what we're doing here because church is not just something that we uh, spectate at. Church is supposed to be this wonderful experience where we get to open our hearts to God in ways that give him access to what's way down deep inside us. And when we give God access to that stuff that's way down in there, he begins to change that innermost stuff in our lives. If there's hurt that we've carried for a long time, he starts to mess with that and he starts to offload it. That's amazing stuff. If there's anger over what someone has done, he starts to open that and he begins to offload that. There's nothing that you could name or mention that if we open our hearts to God, he can't actually change. Because it's really clear, studying the life of Jesus, and if you come to this church often, you're going to hear this a lot, because it literally is the heartbeat of our church. And just by looking at the life of Jesus, it was clear that everyone who came to Jesus was deeply loved, completely loved. No questions, no qualifications, no caveats. He didn't care. If you came, you were loved. Secondly, he realized that we're all human beings and that means none of us is perfect. Most of us have no trouble realizing that, right? Yeah, we wonder, can God do anything with this hot mess that I am? Because We all have brokenness. So everyone's loved. Nobody's perfect. But here's where church gets exciting. With God, anything's possible. Jesus never encountered a person that he couldn't redeem and change and deliver and make new. And every Sunday at its base level, This is what we do as a church. We come, we open our hearts, and we say, Jesus, would you take me and would you do something in my life I could never do on my own? Would you change in me what I have tried to change and I don't seem to be able to? And when we do church at that level, amazing things happen. So I want to point us to one of my favorite verses in scripture. And I want to tell you that there's almost every day I think about this particular thing that Jesus said. Because it is key to understanding Jesus and everything he taught. And it's up here on the screen. Jesus said this, the reason I have come So we're getting ready to enter the Christmas season, right? Where Jesus left heaven and came to earth as a baby boy grew up and then lived and taught, gave his life, and was resurrected. He said, the reason I did all that is so that people may have life and have it how? To the full. Now the title of this series is Thrive. And For those of you who are new this Sunday, I I want you to know that the material from last Sunday, this Sunday, and the next two Sundays will eventually become a class that is taught regularly in our church. But rather than having all of you try to take the class, uh, I felt like it was a little bit better if I just taught you through what eventually we're going to teach through in a class. And the class is designed for people who are new to our church. And they want to know, well, as a church, what do we believe about the good news of Jesus? And then what's our real mission? What really drives us? And what are our core strategies and key beliefs? So this teaching is designed to help us understand one of our four core strategies. Okay? But before I jump into it, I want us to pause on this particular scripture. Jesus said, I came, I left heaven. I came to earth so that you could thrive. Jesus didn't come to teach you what God demands of you. I know there are churches that work on that every Sunday. But that was never in Jesus' heart. Jesus kept saying over and over again, God is for you. It's not about what he wants from you. Yes, he's going to call you to generosity and all these things that actually help you thrive. But at its core, it's what he wants for you. He wants you to thrive. I sat with some high school students this morning and I said to them, listen, it's not always that we can put together the direct correlation between what Jesus is calling us to and how it would help us thrive. I was watching a college football game this weekend and one of the running backs had really muscular legs and was a very powerful running back And the commentator said, you know what's really amazing? About four weeks ago, the coaches came to this guy and they said, look, if you want to get better as a running back, you have to quit going to the weight room and working out all the time. Yeah, he looked at them like you're looking at me. (laughs) What? They said, you know what? You, You work out plenty. What you need to do is get up every morning 30 minutes earlier. And instead of going to the weight room, you need to go sit in the middle of your living room floor and you need to relax and you need to meditate. And it will actually make you a better runner than going and lifting weights another half hour. Do you think he could see a direct correlation? No, no but he trusted his coaches and he started doing it and his rushing numbers have steadily increased ever since i said to these high school students if i could tell you something you could do 15 minutes a day that if you would do it i could guarantee you it would raise your gpa one full point and it would also guarantee that you could get all your homework done every night in 30 minutes Would you be interested? What do you think they said? Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. I said, unfortunately, that's just an illustration. (laughs) (laughs) But there are things that Jesus invites us to that we don't make the direct correlation between thriving and this thing. And so sometimes... We disregard the thing because it doesn't make immediate sense to us. I suspect that what I'm going to talk about this morning fits in that category for all of us. But I want you to hear it right up front that this is not something Jesus wants from you. It's actually a central part of what he wants for you. And if you try to thrive without it, okay, it will be fruitless. Do you like fluffy pancakes? I do. Okay. If I said to you, you have to put either baking powder or baking soda in, in the batter, or you're never going to have fluffy pancakes, and you look at me and you go, eh, it's just a teaspoon. Who cares? How your pancakes going to do? Like rubber. Yep. Yeah. This is part of thriving. Okay? Now, let's look at another passage. Jesus says this. I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. There are three important things we can learn from that. Number one, who owns the church? Jesus owns the church. We, my friends, don't own this church. Contrary to what many people think, the pastor does not own this church either. It's not my church. I love this church. I would do virtually anything for it, but it's not mine. The church belongs to Jesus and nobody else. He said, I will build my church. Secondly, it's important that we understand who actually builds the church. Do we build it? No, no. Jesus said, I will build my church. And that's why this morning during worship, we continually opened our hearts and we invited, we sang about the relentless love of God and the fact that he wants us to thrive. And in a little bit, we're going to sing a song called The Table, which is about the place that you and I all have around the table of Jesus. You see, he's the one who builds the church. We just get to be part of it. And here's the third thing we can learn from this passage. When we allow Jesus to own the church... And when we recognize that Jesus builds the church, then it doesn't make any difference what anybody throws against it. It will not prevail. Are you on board with that? You don't sound really on board with that. Are you on board with that? Absolutely. That's why the church of Jesus, though it has been persecuted, it's almost anything you can name has been thrown against it and people have infiltrated it from the inside, and pastors have done unspeakably terrible things in the name of Jesus. In the end, the church of Jesus survives it all because it was never that pastor's church anyway. Now, last week we learned there were two sides to growing our faith. And generally speaking, here they are. The first is the church supplied things. We don't actually grow our faith on our own. That's why Jesus invites us to be part of a local church. And there are things that the local church actually provides for us. And you can see them up there. Things like services and tools and resources. And that's our job as church leaders to make sure that what we are providing and supplying is Is the stuff that you need for your faith to actually grow. As Channing said a while ago that she is a gardener. By the way, if you go to Channing's house, you will see an amazing garden. I've been there. It's crazy good. I've never mind. I've eaten some of that stuff too. So (laughs) there you go. But in order for those plants to thrive, Channing has to provide them the nourishment that they need or they'll never thrive. But the plant itself has a job to do as well. Whatever those nutrients are, whatever that water is, the plant has the responsibility to absorb and to actually convert that into growth and fruit. Your faith is no different. Through the church, Jesus supplies the nutrients that you need to grow and thrive. And I can assure you that our church leadership continually prays because we recognize we don't choose the nutrients. Who does? Jesus does. It's his church. But we can only supply the nutrients. There's a whole personal engagement side that is up to you to choose. And we can't choose it for you. And what I'm going to teach you about this morning fits into the personal engagement side. The church also supplies some basic teaching. Take a look. It is we, we continually teach how we understand the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. We continually lay out the mission, the heartbeat, and the core strategies of our church. And then there are some things we do to help you on the personal engagement side. And you'll see them up here. Uh, we have a class like this where you get to meet some of the church's leaders. And when we teach this in a class setting... There will be two or three of our leaders at each one of those sessions so that new people in our church get to meet our church leaders. You get to ask questions. And by the way, I'll be hanging out in the lobby afterwards. And if you have questions about anything I teach this morning, please come up and ask. Okay. I want to be fully open and transparent. And then last of all, you have the opportunity to personally connect with people in our church. So how does this personal engagement thing work? Primarily around three things, okay? And here they are on the screen. Gather groups and give back. Would you read that out loud with me, please? Ready? Gather groups, give back. Yeah. If we could engage well in those three things, God does this amazing thing on the inside of us. So for the balance of our time this morning, I want to teach us about this concept of gathering. As I said to uh, the people who were on the worship team and running our sound and tech and stuff, (coughs) I said, have you ever asked yourself, whose idea was it to have a church service every Sunday? Well, as a pastor, I had to dig into that because I was wondering, is that just something I do so we can take up a collection every Sunday and keep the thing going? Or is there a purpose deeper than that? So I began to dig into this and what I found was really rich and that's what I want to share with us today. And in a way, there's an irony behind this teaching because when you think about it, when the pastor talks about coming to church regularly, who's going to hear that teaching? The people who are already there. And the people who really need to hear it aren't there anyway. So there's an irony in this. But I want us to understand the why we do this. Okay? So here's a key principle I found as I dug into this. Having his followers gathered together regularly has always been a big part of Jesus' plan to help us thrive. This, this is not a pastor's idea This is not a church tradition. This was actually born of Jesus. How do I know that? Well, first of all, let's take the word church. You and I tend to think of church as sort of a holy institution, right? Did you know? That's not all what that word means, it's what it has come to mean. But it's not what it meant when Jesus used it. The language that Jesus spoke was a form of the Greek language. And the word he used for church when he said, I will build my church. That word church didn't refer to anything religious. It referred simply to a gathering of people. You could have, it's the Greek word, ekklesia. You could have a family ekklesia. Some of us will on Thanksgiving Day, right? The family will gather together. That's an ekklesia. It's just a gathering of people. Now, the interesting thing that Jesus did with that word is he said, I will build my gathering. Huh. So this idea of the church of people who are followers of Jesus gathering together, it's actually wrapped up in the very word Jesus chose to use to describe us. The word church literally means gathering. Now if you fast forward just a little bit from when Jesus said that, you find a description, a very a picturesque description of the very first local congregation. And here it is in Acts chapter 2. Every day they continued to what? Meet together. They got that gathering thing. They understood that. In the temple courts they broke their bread in their homes and ate how? Together. together. And with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. They got it right away that Jesus has called us to gather together. We'll get into the why in a little bit. But a couple of decades later, Paul was talking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus and he reminded them of this concept. Here's what he said to them. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything That would be helpful to you. Do you see in there a desire for people to thrive? Because Paul said, I I taught you what was actually helpful for you. And he goes on to say, but I have taught you publicly. That would be in a gathering like this and from house to house. And that's about small groups, which is what I'm going to teach us about next week but they had this large group gathering. Now you fast forward another decade or so, and the author of the book of Hebrews writes this. Let us consider how to inspire each other. Don't you love that term? Yeah. What would happen if every time the local church met, our desire and stated goal was to inspire each other? Can I just lay out a little personal confession for you? Somebody challenged me years ago to write a mission statement for my life. And that was hard. That was way harder to do than I thought it might be. But as I prayed about it and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it, the interesting thing is my personal mission statement got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. No surprise, I'm a pastor, right? (laughs) Until eventually, I realized that God's mission for me is actually wrapped up in two words. Inspiring people. So when I read this passage, man, it speaks to me way down here. Now, the writer goes on to describe How we can inspire each other to greater love and to righteous deeds, not forgetting to, oh, look at this, gather as a community. Wow, there it is. As some have forgotten, but encouraging each other, especially as the day of his return approaches. Listen, I'm a pastor, so I get to hear about everything, right? And I know it surprises you, but I've had many people say to me, ah, pastor, I'm closer to God. I feel closer to God uh, fishing than I do in church. I feel closer to God when I sit out in nature than I do when I go to church. I've heard about all those that you can imagine. And I want to say a couple things. Number one, I don't believe anyone has ever said that to me without actually meaning it and believing it. They weren't bad people. Their experience at church just wasn't very good. Because when church is inspiring and when church is life-changing, it does something for you that catching a trout can't. Got it? Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of the church gathering, it's all throughout the teachings of Jesus and his followers. So one of our core strategies, here it is up on the screen, is to provide dynamic large group gatherings. And listen, I'm not going to talk about what it takes for it to be dynamic. That's That's a subject for another day. But I just want you to know that the commitment that the leaders of this church have is to provide for you and everyone else who cares to attend a dynamic, large group gathering every time we gather. We will never mail it in and just wing it. Okay? Because Jesus deserves our very best. So that leads us to a really interesting question. And here it is. Why would Jesus make this gathering of his followers such a vital part of building his church and growing our faith? That's a fair question, isn't it? Yeah, so let's take a look. We have fortunately 2000 years of a case study. That's pretty good, don't you think? Have you ever read a case study that went on for 2000 years? Not many journal I've ever picked up, but we have 2000 years of experience, of people gathering together as the followers of Jesus. And we are able to make the following observations and a whole lot more. I'm just going to focus on five this morning, okay? The first one is this. Why would we gather all together? Well, because when we gather for the purposes of discovering and declaring God's goodness to us. Let's stop right there. This morning we sang a song called Relentless Love. There's no shadow he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up to get to you and me. That's about discovering and declaring God's goodness for us. When we do that, we give the Holy Spirit an open opportunity to work in us and among us. That's why it's inspirational. Now, I know, we all want to live with our hearts open to God. Anybody here just want to close your heart? No, don't put your hand up in here. <laughs> no. Nobody wants to close their heart off to God. Maybe a handful of people somewhere. But most of us want to have our hearts open to God. Well, there's an amazing thing. There are a lot of plants that at night when the sun goes down, they close. Have you noticed that? But in the morning when the sun comes up, they open. Did you know your heart was made that way? And Jesus is saying, listen, when you bring your heart to a church that points you to God's goodness and inspires you, in the same way that light opens a flower, a church service opens your heart. That's good stuff. Yeah. For those, those of you who don't know, and many of you wouldn't have known her, was a lady in our church by the name of Lynn Battaglia, who passed on to be with Jesus yesterday. Last Sunday, Lynn was sitting right here. And I looked at her and Lynn did not look good. And I went up to her after church and out of love and concern for her because I knew that she was in a battle with cancer and I knew that she was struggling with heart issues and I knew she'd had a stroke earlier in the year You think you've had a tough year, a tough year. I went up to Lynn afterwards and I said, Lynn, I'm so glad to see you, but are you sure you should be here? She looked at me and she said, Ron, this is where I want to be. She wasn't here because she had to be. She wasn't here to fulfill some sort of religious commitment or obligation or because she thought God was going to land on her if she wasn't here. She was here because she was saying to me, Ron, I get something in here every time I'm here that no matter how weak and tired I am. I need it. And I want it. Reason number two. Because when we gather in a culture of full love and acceptance for everyone, we get to engage with people who are searching and introduce them to Jesus. It was always part of Jesus' plan for his church that the church would have this loving influence on people who were looking for something in their life that they just couldn't find. Not that they were bad people, not that they were empty people, but they knew there was something missing. And when our church service is done in the context of full love and acceptance, then people who are sinners... Do you know how the crowd that followed Jesus was described on more than one occasion? Now, among the crowd who followed Jesus, there were notorious sinners. People good at it. Probably people devoted to it. And yet, when they came in the presence of Jesus, they felt loved. And fully accepted. I just want to say to all of you, if you've been coming to our church any length of time at all, you already know this. But if you're relatively new, there's not a person that you could mention, name, or invite that if you brought them to our church wouldn't be fully loved and accepted the moment they came. Are you on board with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in that context, sometimes we get to introduce them to Jesus. Reason number three. Because when our teaching is grounded in God's word and shared with authentic passion, humility, and transparency, others are inspired and encouraged to lean in and build their own faith. I hope this morning, no matter where you are, maybe you follow Jesus for decades. I hope that something that happens in our service this morning causes you to lean in. Like the teenagers, tell me more. Yeah. If you're new to our church, (coughs) I hope that several things you hear today will cause you to lean in and want to learn more about Jesus and begin to explore how he can help you build your faith. Reason number four. Because when we engage together in musical worship, focusing on God's goodness and his breathtaking wonder, we are drawn in And personally experience God's life giving and restorative presence. Virtually every Sunday, as we are singing together and worshiping, I feel chills. I get goosebumps. Quite often, I get moved to tears. I did earlier this morning. And it wasn't even during church service, it was when the band was practicing. Okay, But they were singing about this relentless love of God who, who leaves the 99. And that refers to a story Jesus told about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and 99 of them were in the fold, but one had wandered off and he left all 99 to go after that one. And when he found that one sheep, he put it on his shoulders He didn't drive it back with a rod. He put it on his shoulders and he lovingly carried it back. When I think that Jesus knows every single one of us, he knows right where you are right now in life. He knows every challenge you're facing. He knows every victory you've had recently He knows how your relationships are with your kids. He knows how your relationships are at work. He knows it all. And he's here for you. And when you open your heart to him, he meets you right where you are. And you begin to experience his presence. And I hope this morning he touches you deeply because he's been touching me deeply this morning. And reason number five, because God catalyzes our spiritual growth and touches our spirit in in large group gatherings in ways that are not available either through small group experiences or when we are alone with him. Just pause right here. Okay, let's talk about catalyze. Okay, if you're a chemist, you might know what that word means. If you're not a chemist, maybe you might not. A catalyst is when you have two subjects, two different substances, and there's a chemical reaction that can take place between them. There are some substances where you have substance A and substance B And you put them together and nothing happens until you introduce a catalyst, a third substance. And when you introduce that substance, substance, there's an amazing chemical reaction that takes place. And when you're all done, the catalyst is unchanged. You still got it. But it has to be there for that reaction to take place can I suggest to you and me that our Sunday morning church services are a catalyst for the growth of your faith? It's what God uses to create this response in your heart that actually enables you to grow your faith. So here's a real practical way (coughs) that I want to say this. If you want the most Jesus you can get. That sound good? Yeah. If you want the most Jesus you can get. Well then you got to go to church. It's that simple. Because when you don't. You miss. It doesn't mean you miss him all But man do you miss what could be yours. And Jesus said Listen. I came so you could have life and have it to the full. So I'm not up here to guilt anyone into coming to church regularly. I'm not here to tell you, man, if you don't go to church regularly, when you die, it might get a little warm. <laughs> I'm not here to scaring you into going to church I'm here simply as a representative of Jesus who invites you to come and allow him to do in your life what he can't do in any other context. How do I know that? I want to close with this teaching of Jesus. Let's go one more slide. Gus, thanks. Thanks. Jesus said, when two or three, what are the next two words? Gather, gather together. That sound like a common theme this morning? Yes. Yeah. When two or three gather together in my name, what does he say? I am there in the midst of them. Listen, friends, you can go fishing. Okay? On a Sunday morning. And miss the gathering of Jesus' people. And you can sense Jesus there. But you can never sense him there. At the level that you can sense him here. Because he says, when you gather in my name, I show up in a way I don't show up when you don't gather. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And that's the invitation he gives us. So I want to close with a statistic and then a very practical thing that we can do. Are you up for that? So here's the statistic. Every kind of a survey I've read in the last decade reveals this very consistent fact. Whenever you interview a Christian who says, I go to church every Sunday, I'm an every Sunday kind of person when you dig into it, do you know how often they actually make it to church? 1.9 times per month. Wow. I'm not here to make us feel guilty. But you know what? I do believe we can do better than that. Do you believe that? Yes, we can. So here's the challenge. It's a very simple way to apply this. Take a look. I will mark on a calendar every time I put myself in a large group meeting of the church with a personal goal to average at least three times each month. Are you up for that challenge? Will you get a calendar and start marking it down? You might be surprised at, oh, I'm not doing that good. It's not that you have to do better. It's that you can do better. And it's not just about attending church. It's about realizing when I have the opportunity to open my heart in a very special way four times a month, and I'm doing it 1.9 times, I'm missing out. And Jesus doesn't want you to miss out. And neither do I. So we're going to close our service with communion. And it might surprise you that Jesus never intended for communion to be purely an individual thing. In fact, there was a church that Paul Paul wrote to, and they were literally making communion an individual thing. And when they got to church, everybody ran up to the communion table and drank as much juice and ate as many crackers as they wanted and figured, I'm good. I got it covered. And Paul said, you don't get it. There's a together aspect to communion. And someone's written a beautiful song because there's another thing that happens around communion. In some churches, if you go there, you can't take communion unless you're part of that church. And they literally won't serve it to you. Okay, I'm not here to throw stones at any church, but I do want to say this. Who actually owns the church? Jesus. And when Jesus invites us to his table, who am I to stand between you and the table of Jesus and say, you're not good enough? We would never do that. So this morning, if you want to honor Christ with us, this song declares so openly At the table, there are no orphans. There's nobody who's missing a father or a parent. There's no orphans. Because at the table, it's a father and his sons and daughters who are there together. And at the table, there's a place for you. So as we partake this morning... I'm going to invite us to make our ways to the tables and you don't have to partake. If you want to, please feel welcome to and honor Christ in this way. But for those of us who come here regularly, let's take a moment in our processing of what Jesus means to us and let's process that he has called us together into his family. And we are brothers and sisters together at the table of Jesus. Jesus, thank you so much. You are so good. And you have provided so much for us. And you have called us together in your great family. And you have built this love in us for each other and even for people who are not part of your family yet. This morning, as we gather around your table, we celebrate your goodness to us, and we pray in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org.